Welcome back to another episode of Mormon Traditionalist Podcast. My name is Jaron O'Driscoll and I am your host. And today we have another guest interview from the Firm Foundation Expo with Mike and Betty LaFontaine. Mike and Betty are wonderful people and I've had the opportunity to become good friends with them since the conference. They have an incredible story and are doing some incredible work. Mike and Betty are Native American and were raised in the gospel and later after getting married, they were inspired to get involved in surveying for evidence in North America of their Book of Mormon ancestors. This week, we talk about their upbringing and culture, and next week, we talk about their survey work. Like I said, this episode was recorded at the Firm Foundation Expo, and I only had two mics, so we had to do a roundtable interview with the internal mic on my recorder, so I apologize that the audio quality isn't as clean as other episodes. It can get a little quiet at times, and that internal mic picked up some kids in the background a couple of times, as well as some table bumps. So I apologize, but this is, really is a great interview, guys, so stay tuned. Let's get into the episode. All right, Mike and Betty, good to see you. How are you guys? We're great. We're great. Come on, with us. <laughs> okay, well, let's start out first. Um, not everybody knows who you guys are or what you're about. Betty, let's start with you. Tell us about you guys. Um, your, your heritage is really important with this. When did you guys join the church and how all that ties together? Tell us about that. I am Navajo Indian. I was raised in the Four Corner area of the United States, the Southwest. Um, I was raised traditionally uh, up to the age of 10. My, both of my parents were baptized, but they struggled with the t- living the two lives. In the religion and with the native culture, the Navajo culture, they were um, very deep within the medicine man and those medicine ways. My father was actually supposed to be a medicine man, and with medicine men, all their healing song is all in songs, and so they have to memorize up to 50, 60, 100 songs of ceremonies. That they do all through prayers or all ceremonies through music, songs. Impressive. Yeah, and they have to memorize it word by word, song by song, phrase by phrase. But he couldn't do it. My dad couldn't do it. He says, "I I, I made it up to maybe twenty. This is I couldn't do that." <laughs> anyway, um, so I grew up in the culture. My parents were baptized. My father wasn't as strong in the church as my mother was. Um, my mother didn't have a My dad had a sixth grade education. My mother had no education. She was full 100% into her culture um, until she met the missionaries. Um, I come from, there's a clanship in the family within the the different tribes. Within my tribe, uh, we're a matriarchal society. Um, And we get our clans. Like, uh, for instance, my clan is Bashchi'e, which is Red clay bottom people, and that would be my mother this time. And then father would be, I am born for a Sheehan, which is the salt pen, father's clan. We have actually four clans, doesn't stop there. So my grandfathers are uh, Kia Ani, which means towering house people. And then my uh, grandfathers, so I have two paternal, maternal grandfathers. So my other one would be Twitch um, Amy, which is Bitter water people. Now, these clans are, are like a, uh, I would say, like your ancestry, like a pedigree chart. So we're related, but interrelated. We must not marry any of our clan. 
in mm-hmm. our clan. So that kind of we introduce ourselves as Navajos to each, with each other. We share our names and we share our clans. From that, we draw whether we're brother or sister, auntie, uncle, grandmother, grandfather. So that's how we all become family. So, so ancestry and genealogy is, is an important part in Navajo culture. It is. You're telling. Yes. And we are very family structured. We, family is the most important in our lives. Everything we do, we celebrate everything. We don't ignore birthdays or celebrations. We're not so much into Christmas as we are into achievements of our children. And also, um, when they become of age, when a woman, when a girl reaches puberty, when a, when a boy reaches puberty, there are certain ceremonies or celebrations that are done for that. Even a baby, when a baby, an infant, laughs for the first time, the one who makes that baby laugh has to give that baby a party. <laughs> so that that when they laugh for the first time is when they say the spirit awakens within them and they know you. They can express themselves to you and you have connected with them. So that laugh is a really big celebration for it with it. So for it's more personal than it is for Outside, so American culture, we celebrate a lot of different holidays and dates, but this is much more personal to the individual. Right. It's more family. There's a unity there that just flows so well. And the kinship of family is number one within our culture. Well, so speaking of family, so how did you meet Mike? How did you guys get together? So I, um, at the age of 10, I was baptized. And Mr. W. Kimball, he was a prophet that, at the time when they started this Indian placement program, which I participated in, where uh, natives would live with members of the church in families in Utah, California, Arizona, come up. I think it was Midwest over that the natives would participate instead of going to boarding school because a lot of the natives were some forced to go to boarding schools because mm-hmm. given a better life education. Mm-hmm. But with the church, by that time, my parents were, my, my mom especially, was more active. And she wanted to, ha- that her children have the opportunity to have the best, best education, best living, you know, because we were, we were in poverty. We had no electricity, no water. Um, we lived in a home that was probably, what, 15 by 15, Mike, maybe, um, dirt floor. And we slept on the floor. And. So this placement program was enacted during the time of Spencer W. Kimball, and my mother um, asked that we we go on this program and participate in it. So we would be here with the family, not knowing where we're going, her entrusting and having the faith that her children would be taken care of. And nine months out of the year, we'd be with our foster families, and then the summertime, we'd be bused back down to the reservation. So it was a, to me, that program was the life-saving for me, personally. I'm speaking for myself. There are different natives all over that have a different view of it. But for me, it was a testimony-building program for me. It saved me to direct me in a path that I should go. Just like the, the um, I think of Lehi and of his, uh, his boys, there was a good path, and they 
chose to take the the other path. But to me, this was my opportunity to take that good path and stay on it and have that faith-building family to take me in and take care of me and teach me those principles. Although I was raised with great principles, because the Native people are very spiritual. They uh, pay homage to nature, you know that, and uh, they know who they are. They came from a great spirit. Um, and I think when I was reading the scriptures and we would read to my mother, the um, that really caught her was that personal relationship that she had with great spirit was the same relationship that these prophets had in the book of our ancestors, which is the book of Mormon. And that played a lot of, it gave her a lot of strength and it built a firm testimony of the, of the church. So, and so where you got placed where? My first place was Eureka, Utah. Okay. Have you heard of Eureka, Utah? I was out there uh, a couple months ago going to see Porter Rockwell's cabin with the family. Yeah. Old <laughs> mining town. It probably yeah. hasn't changed since I was there. No, it's, I don't think it's changed in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks like a little, little ghost town. You know, I don't think it's changed. I haven't been there in, in a while, but I'll tell you about the first night that I spent there. I came with just a little box of clothes. And when my foster family picked me up, they took me shopping and bought me new clothes, new shoes. And I appreciated all that. And then it took me uh, to their home. And I'd never been in a home with real beds to sleep in. And it was an upstairs bedroom I shared with my foster sisters. And my first night, I had a rough night. I had my own soft bed. She tucked me in bed and she kissed me on the cheek. That really kind of, I just was like shocked because those kinds of things aren't shown between the Native people, at least for how yeah. I grew up. We didn't have the contact. We didn't have the hug. We didn't have the kiss. We didn't have that kind of affection. Um, anyway, so that night she did that. And, you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was okay with that and then um, tucked me in that bed and I had to wear pajamas which I never wore pajamas and the next 30 days I woke up on the floor wow. I wanted to sleep on that floor because we slept on the floor like little sardines in a can that I had siblings right next to me and uh, I think that's why today I have a hard time when my husband snuggles with me because I, <laughs> I like my space but um, that that night, the first night, really uh, changed me. It changed the way I thought about what I appreciated. My humbly surroundings that I grew up with um, became more real and more, um, I don't know how to explain it, just, just real that, you know, hey, these are nice comforts in life. But I had those same comforts of the spirit. Sleeping on a sheepskin rug. Gives some perspective. Right, right. At a young age of 10. And I just enjoyed spending the time. I, I enjoyed the family home evening, the prayers at night. Those were almost the same things as we had on the reservation, not like the Mormon church does. But also, we had that same kind of teaching, too. 
rise in the morning before the sun rose, we'd run to the east direction. We'd do our little tadudin, which is like a little pollen, which we pray with. That's what we do every morning. I, my father would come and, Indoje, Indoje, Indoje. Wake up, wake up, it's time to wake your run. And we are to keep in mind, as we are running, the sun is rising, it's at dawn. Everything's awakening. And this is the way, it's so beautiful. The plants are waking up. The ground is waking up. The sun is rising. And the warmth of the sun is creating a new day for us and bringing us blessings. So those kind of things are so spiritual. And so the connection with religion and spirituality with the church, it made it even mean more to me. So the family home evening circle that my family in my first home had was, was special. And the respect, we were, as a cultural people, we are taught to respect. It's very high on our list that we honor our elders, that we honor our military, our veterans, that we honor our country, that we never fall unthankful for what we have. So with the LDS Church and learning the uh, the, um, principles of the gospel, go right along to the beliefs of how I was raised as a native. And so you started getting into that at the age of 10. You're going back and forth from Eureka back to the reservation. This is an annual thing, right? It's right. nine months out of the year, you said. So at what point, you're going along that journey, what time? What, what point did you and Mike meet? And you guys ended up, you guys have ended up in Florida now. Right. And what is the journey like between then and now? We met, we met in high school, Spanish Fork High School. I grew up in Florida. I'm what you call an urban Indian. My <laughs> my dad lived on a reservation growing up, but his mother and father moved into the cities early on, so he didn't he didn't uh, he was not raised traditionally at all. Um, I'm from the Chippewa tribe, from Turtle Mountain Chippewa tribe in North Dakota. My dad is is the native. My mother is a full blooded Swede, so. I'm Métis, which is which is called a half breed. So my so I, I didn't have any type of native thing. We would go back to the reservations in the in the summer times and visit the people there. And about the only real traditional thing we did on the reservations, um, we would go to house to house. We would clear all the furniture to the from from the middle of the room, so it would be all against the walls. And we'd have boxing matches all night long. <laughs> 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 and that was just crazy, crazy time. So, um, so with that being said, my parents, my we met, we moved, we lived in Florida most of my life. Sixteen, I followed dinner table out west. I ended up seeing her at, at high school at a seminary activity, and we were playing volleyball. And I saw that long black hair flopping around the wind. <laughs> And she was so it was outdoor volleyball. Outdoor yeah. volleyball. So <laughs> she's acting like I didn't exist. <laughs> but every time I turned around, she was staring at me with her mouth open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some truth there. <laughs> so must, we, must have had a cowlick in the back of your yeah, hair or something. something. She kept looking at. 
So so that's where we started in Spanish Fork High School, dated and, and got married and started our family in, in Utah and for about five or six years. And then these winters in Utah were too much. It's, cold, it's colder in Utah in the wintertime than my freezer was in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so who's going to – no one lives in their freezer. <laughs> so so we moved back. And plus, it was, she couldn't run away very easily. <laughs> Long ways away. We, but we would come home every year. And her mother would say, why do you take my, my daughter to the to the east, to the, to the great waters, you know, and, you know, but he had to prove himself to my family because courtship. What were you at LDS? You've been yes, raised in the yeah. church. Okay. He had to really prove himself to my family. By this time, my mom had already gone through the temple, got, you know, did her temple and uh, she was pretty active and, I, and he, you know, kind of, it, it kind of like robbed a cradle to them. Not, not meaning that I was so young. That, you know, <coughs> Americans say Robbie Cradle, you're yes. marrying 20 years younger. But yep. that's different with us. It's like you took my baby away from me, and who are you? And not only that, yeah, she didn't marry within her tribe. Yeah, and that's another thing. That's the big thing. That was the bigger thing. Yeah. To, to marry in the tribe but not in the clan. No, out of yeah. out of the out of the tribe and oh, out of the clan. Oh, she's okay. Chippewa, I'm Navajo. Okay, no, Chippewa, I'm Navajo. Yeah, yeah, one of those. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that kind of uh, was a question, big question mark there for them, and it, it kind of they were a bit leery about him. But he proved himself to them, and the, the only thing my mom, I remember her saying before she passed away, was that I want to thank my son. She didn't call him her son at all until she was <clears throat> ready to leave the earth. She thought of him as, as a great young boy. She always thought he was a boy. And he just has that impression because I, don't, I think of him as a boy sometimes because he, he's so silly and active. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He doesn't quit. So, But my parents thought of him that way for a while. But then he ended up proving to them that he was very responsible and my mother loved and adored how he honored the priesthood and that he was a great minister and that he would he nothing was ever known when he would help people and that's just the way Mike is and, and that's what appealed to me when I first met him so that's really interesting so tell me a little more about that about how how the the gospel the book of Mormon how that was able to pierce through that that cultural divide. How was that for your mom? It sounds like it took some time to... Well, it was more... But that was not more of a religious thing. It was a cultural thing. It was cultural. Because, <clears throat> you know, religiously, you're LDS, you accept everybody and everything's mm-hmm. fine. So it was it was a cultural thing. She she was the only one in her family married a non-native. Non, not a non-native, but a, not a, a, not, not Navajo. a Navajo. Yeah. So out of eleven kids, she's the only one. Yeah, you and know. they all live on or near, very mm-hmm. near the reservation yeah. now to this day. Um, all, all very much living traditionally and following all the customs. Well, there, there's half of us that to varying are, degrees. Yeah, yes. that live um, LDS mm-hmm. lives, yeah. and there's maybe three of us in the family that have been through the temple. 
So I'm pretty active right now. But you, but you did say that your your mom was eventually saw saw that and saw that he was a good priesthood holder, and that was kind of the thing that that yeah that that changed gave her that change of heart. Yeah, and that he he became a very responsible. Because we married at eighteen, and by the time we were at twenty four, we had five children. At first, being um, a special needs child, and um, those were challenging times, and still are at times because she's still with us. But all of our sad. kids are special needs. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be public. You realize that, right? That's fine. They, have, they, they would go with that. <laughs> but but we raise our children to be strong in the gospel. We can do. You know, as as parents and as family, especially parents, we want the best for our children. And my mom taught me the principle, I don't know if I call it principle, but to teach, the best teacher is to teach by example. Yeah, she was a very good example. And my mom was one of the greatest examples. And I would say this honestly, next to Christ. She That's was Christ-like. She had many of the attributes. Yes. And anybody in town knows her on the reservation. On that reservation, they knew my mother. They knew her heart. When they would see her coming, she was their mom, their grandmother, their aunt. So, so was your, so your mom? How old was your mom? Do you remember when, when you guys were baptized? Oh, it was probably I would say the thirties, forty, almost forty. She was baptized. You know the Grand Richards? He's an apostle. She was baptized by him. Oh, cool. So they took the mission. They took a bunch of Navajos to the stake center on the reservation in Gallup. And they, they, they have been t- learning the gospel. They've been taught a little bit here and there. She was actually cross-lighted um, by missionaries on horseback. While she was hurting sheep, and um, later she she was told <coughs> grandmother's she was raised by her clan grandmother because her mother died when she was eight, so she was transferred to where my her clan grandmother lived, and there she was raised on a ranch, a sheep and a cow ranch. She learned how to ride the horse, and so she would go out and herd sheep by herself. And back then, that was, I don't remember the year, but back then, they cross-sided on horses. And also, there was a lot of um, problems with the government, where the government workers would come out and take children and put them in boarding schools. And also, there was not a big trust between the Belladonna, which is the white man, um, and the Indians. So, she was always told to stay away from them. So she would see these two uh, men on white sh- with white shirts on horses go by her once in a while, you know. And and she says, every time I'd see them, they'd wave at me. And I, I didn't want to wave back. But she says, after a while, a few days go by, they would come again, got a little closer. And she says, I had a good feeling. I had a real good feeling about them. I wasn't afraid of them. The spirit... They would touch my heart. I had a warm feeling. And she says, eventually they made it to her. And she said, and they put out their hands to shake her hand and started talking in her tongue. 
straight. That was a surprise. Pure <laughs> Navajo. And she says, you know, I always wondered if it was the spirit right there that get the tongues was working. Yeah. Because I knew what they were saying was true. And she she said they left her with the Book of Mormon, although she said I couldn't read. Do you remember the Book of Mormons that were blue? Yes. With the angel I still have one. Yeah, <laughs> I have one too. But that's the book they left with her. And she Incredible. says, I would look through the pictures and I'd look at those pictures and she says, I just feel the electricity of the spirit. So what was that like for you, for your mother? Growing up, she she had lived a lot of her life in the in the culture. What was that? transition like not not transition how did she um work that together with the culture and the book of mormon and the gospel and the what, yes. what, what was that that mingling and that that reconciliation it was a little rough at first because she was a coffee drinker she was a ceremonial ceremony participant where she would go and see the medicine man that mm-hmm. was that was her healer she would go to those healers and she grew up that way, and she believed 100%. But when she heard the message of the Book of Mormon, and she explained it this way, when they read it to me and told me about the stories of those ancient ones, she said, at night I would go and I would see a movie, a pictorial. You know, I don't know if you've been to the place up in Temple Square, where you see the the screens all the way around. Oh, yes. She says, it's like I was sitting, standing in the center and watching this whole journey of the Book of Mormon as I turned like this. And I was like, wow, Mom. She's like, yeah. It was like that. I was there. I saw this. And she says, and it it's all sounded familiar that I'd seen it before, that I had experienced before. Something rang true there. Yeah. And that I saw that young boy that young Joseph, our brother, she said, I saw him uncover those plates. So these kind of experiences wow. were just like, she was so spiritually connected to our Heavenly Father. And I think that the, the veil was very thin with her. So she was meant to be uh, baptized in a little place like Crown Point, New Mexico. Growing up in impoverished conditions, losing a mother at eight years old, and then being raised in a different area where that she was raised in, that, that just brought her peace. She says, this gospel brings you peace. It brings you, the book brings you guidance. And without that guidance, one can be lost in this crazy world, is what she would say. <laughs> So, she sounds like an amazing woman. So, what are what are some of the on the flip side of that point? What are some of the commonalities that are, are there things about about Navajo culture that just lined up and that started that, that kind of rang true to you that corollaries with the gospel? Of the Book of prayer, prayer. That's the first thing I think of because we were taught to pray in the morning, noon, and at night. That was consistent every day that was every day part of my life and so when I would pray with my children I saw myself praying with my mother so 
that prayer and knowing who I was and where I was going, because all native throughout the native world, we know that there is a spirit world. We know that we are spirits, and they, this is just our our um, earthly frame that this spirit is is in. So when we leave this earth, this is not the end. There is another place we go to the spirit world where our ancestors are there. And we'll be reunited with them. And we'll be reunited with our great spirit, who is God. Those kind of things um, just rang so familiar in, in prayer was, I think, for me, it, it's prayer. So, obviously, we've, we've already mentioned this, but ancestry gene- genealogy is obviously very important. Yes. Culture. Do you remember the point or, or the moment? I know you were young. You said you were 10 years old. What was the point when you connected or, or realized the connection between your ancestry and the Book of Mormon people? Do you remember that? Um, actually, yes. Now, I visited recently. I'm, I'm just going to tell a little sit here. I recently, like in the last year, met back up with my boss, with my caseworker, caseworker who handled everything for me. Like I, he was actually a counselor. He was a therapist. Oh, okay. For the, um, for the placement program, he worked for the church, <clears throat> and he would come and see me every month and check out, check on me at school. If I had issues with the family, anything. Um, the reason why I'm bringing him up is That's that his, his name is Harold. Harold Reynolds. I'm recently connected with him. I love that man. Um, anyway, he told me when I saw him that the first time in 25 years this last summer. He told me, he says, Betty, I have always, always felt and saw the light of Christ. He said, I knew that you were supposed to be a member of this church. He said, and I knew that you knew at a young age who you were. So the Book of Mormon wasn't just a song, the Book of Mormon stories. Of our people, you know that song. Yep. It's not just that. It play, It's a deeper meaning to that. Because there are actually um, principles and ways of living and journey, pathways that are familiar to the, to the culture of the people. Even where ceremonially, uh, the ceremonies of music, um, the temple, Things that are done in the temple are familiar lights. It's like a light switch went on when my mom went to the temple. All of it encompasses our spirituality. The traditional part where we believe in, they believe in the medicine man, has, I, I truly believe that there are sacredness and, and spirituality in that area too. We have come to where we started with Lehi's family. We split. Laman and Lemuel went their way. Lehi went their way. And part of those traditions that Laman and Lemuel had have gone into the spirituality. This is my only personal thought. I believe that they have gone into the spirituality of the people that were like the spirit people of the Navajo. And things were got off track, just like Laman and Lemuel. They went off track. So I believe that some of the, the Lamanites has the truth from the very beginning that was brought down from 
ancestors did up at the commodity. And that they were minimized and they were taken away from those beliefs. And they were made into other things. And that's where the medicine then came in. These are my personal thoughts. That's yeah. just what I believe. And there are other cultures, other native cultures, other native cultures that um, have ceremonies that go along with, um, like the Hopi, for instance. The Hopi people have kivas. I don't really know, you know, about oh. the Hopi people. They have kivas. The kiva is like a temple for them. Um, they have ceremonies in there. And they have eternal marriage in these kivas. So they practice those kinds of things. So little snippets of what the, the truth of the gospel, each of these. Like there's still remnants of all of that. Right. That, that, that are still, uh-huh. you're still able to see in the Navajo culture. Yeah. And, and, and also in all the native cultures. In all yeah. the native cultures. Yeah. Yeah. So the truth is there. It's just been sifted. So when they hear the restored gospel, when they hear about the Book of Mormon, those little truths ring true true to them. That's it for this portion of the conversation. Mike and Betty are such great people with a great story and background, and I'm honored to be able to call them friends. Tune in next week where we talk about their survey work and looking for the lost city of Zarahemla. Remember to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Send your questions, comments, and hate mail to mormontraditionalist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at mormontraditionalist for more content. Until next time, remember, never back down from the truth.